0: y'all got quiet. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Stand up with us. Let's sing praises.
1: Amen.
2: Good morning, Kavanaugh. How how is it to be inside of the church that is really doing something for the Lord this morning? Is it good? Is it good to be here? I am thrilled to be here, and I'm so glad that you are as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out one of those guest cards. Take it to our Connect counter in the uh, welcome area. We have a gift that we want to give to you, all right? And to all of you, good morning. What a beautiful day. Isn't it gorgeous? I am so thankful the Lord allowed all of that beautiful sun just to rise up from Texas and infiltrate Arkansas. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Hey, this week is the greatest week on the Christian calendar. It's the beginning of Holy Week. This Friday, we celebrate what our Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross as he shed his blood for the remission of our sins. The cross changes everything. Amen. And that same Jesus who gave his life's blood is here today. He is ready, willing, and able to change your life. And I know he can. We'll prove it from the biblical text this morning and the story we're going to tell about a woman who met Jesus. But before we do that, let's stand up and pray, ask for his presence in this room, and continue worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be in your house with your people. I pray, dear Lord, that you would be lifted up today. Because I know when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. And I pray that you would do that today, Lord. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with that love, joy, and peace that only you can give. And dear Lord, as your word is preached, I pray that it would sink deep into our souls and change our lives. We love you, Lord. We give you our lives and all of our praise. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
0: as Jesus walked the earth during his ministry, he ministered to all the people. He met their needs. He he fed them when they were hungry. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk again. He made the paralytic rise up and walk again. He healed every disease. He is everything that we need. What a beautiful, wonderful, and powerful name, the name of Jesus. us understanding and help us, Father, to just apply it to our lives and to respond and to heed your voice. I thank you again for your presence, for being our Savior and our King. I ask us all in the precious name of Jesus.
2: about let's just have the invitation <laughs>
1: mm.
2: you know I, I, I don't know why God does what he does and the way he does it but God chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who are lost it is a privilege to get to preach but days like today I am uh, completely aware of my own human inadequacies to stand before you and preach this book (laughs) so would you just pray with me today that it wouldn't be will who you hear but it would be the holy spirit lord please help us we need you we need you to speak to us so dear lord as i try to speak on the outside please speak into our hearts change us and make us into the people you want us to be and we'll praise you for it in jesus name amen today i'm going to try to end my series on women who met jesus and uh, the sermon title is just taken from this text no condemnation this is a story of jesus and a woman caught in the literal act of adultery it's the story of an unexpected encounter between Jesus and a very sinful woman someone has remarked that just as we have the parable of the prodigal son here in John chapter 8 we have the parable of the prodigal daughter I think more than anything else this story demonstrates the enduring relevance of the word of God if you update just a couple of the details in this story this incident could have happened yesterday And as I read John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11 to you, and if you're looking in your Bible, you might see a notation in the biblical text. In my Bible, it's right before this passage begins, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. So in some of the oldest manuscripts that we have, this story is omitted I don't really know why, but it is in our Bible and I believe it's part of the infallible Word of God. I believe this story really did happen. Why were some of the older manuscripts void of this story? Well, I think St. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, probably said it best when he wrote 1,600 years ago that some of the copyists omitted the story because it seemed to make Christ too lenient toward the sin of adultery and you may feel that same way and if you do I've got a word for you (laughs) at the end of this story so let's read this enlightening encounter of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery John chapter 8 beginning in verse number 2 at dawn he meaning Jesus went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him so he sat down and he began to teach them then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand right there in the center. Teachers, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And get this, they asked this to him to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So what did Jesus do? Well, he stooped down and started riding on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down and again continued doodling on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, and only he was left with the woman still standing in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn thee said, Jesus, go and sin no more. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. What an interesting story. What, I, what I'd like to do today is present this, this story in the biblical text to you in the form of a play that's just being, being broadcast or played before you. And in every play, there are acts and scenes. There are five acts in this play. Let me begin with act number one. Act number one is a woman who has been caught. The story begins early one morning when a crowd gathered in the temple courts to hear Jesus teach. The the Feast of the Tabernacles has just ended, meaning that there are a whole lot of people still in Jerusalem and all of them wanted to hear Jesus teach. And so as Jesus teaches, he is suddenly interrupted as through the crowd, this group of men begin pushing their way through. I don't know how many men it was, maybe a dozen could have been more than that, but they were pushing their way through the crowds up to where Jesus was standing. And in the center with them was this woman who was completely humiliated and they put the woman right before Jesus. I've been reading this story since I was a little kid and I've always had certain questions that came to my mind as I read through this story. And, and maybe you have had the same questions. so let's just ask them and try to answer them here in Act 1, A Woman Caught. The first question is, who were these men? The Bible calls them scribes and Pharisees. The, the scribes were the teachers Of the Old Testament law and along with them were these pious Pharisees. That meant that they were well educated, they were well known, and they were reputed to be men of wisdom and high moral standards. If anyone during that day and time had a question about the law of Moses or the Torah, they would go to one of these men, these scribes and Pharisees, to have their questions answered. But although they were very religious, They were not very godly. Let that just sink in for a second, because there is a huge difference between being religious and being godly. These men were very religious, but they were not godly, and their intentions on this day were not good at all. They are proud, self-confident, they are arrogant, ruthless, cunning, and they are thoroughly hypocritical. As this story makes clear, hypocrites make for the worst judges because their zeal to condemn others often hides the evil heart that is in their chest. Other questions arise that we really can't answer, like question number two, who was this woman? I mean, was she single? Was she engaged? Was she married? We don't know. What previous relationship had she with these men who were now accusing her? We don't know. Is she young, a a teenager? Is she a young adult? Is she middle-aged? We don't know. This text tells us all that we do know about this woman. Everything else is just pure speculation on our part. Question number three. It's a pretty good one. How in the world did they catch her in the act of adultery? Have you ever wondered that? I often have. Again, we can't be sure, but something fishy seems to be going on here. I mean, this story begins to stink at this point. Uh, The rabbinic law was very specific on this point. Since adultery was technically a capital Offense. the law demanded that any accusation be a literal eyewitness testimony. It was not good enough for someone to step forward and say, I saw her and this guy go into the motel room together and then come out an hour later. No, that, that kind of testimony was just hearsay and it was not good enough at this point. So, so how did these men just happen to catch this woman in the act of adultery? Well, we don't know. But that also leads to another crucial question. Where was the man? I mean, adultery by definition requires two people, does it not? Takes two to tango. So where is this guy? It's not likely that somehow he escaped and the woman didn't. Perhaps, perhaps it was a setup. Perhaps they had talked this man into seducing this woman so that they could then catch her in the act of adultery. By prearrangement, they could then let this man go free. You see, these Pharisees and scribes didn't care any about this woman. They could have cared less about her. If this is really a setup, they have already caused adultery to be committed they would stop at nothing short of murdering her. Why in the world would they go to such extent to do this? Well, don't lose sight of this. This is all about them hating Jesus. That's what this story is about. These men hated Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. They were going to falsely accuse Jesus of something in this biblical text. And so if it cost a woman, her reputation, and even putting her to death, so be it. They hated Jesus. One final question. Why did they expose her publicly? I mean, there was no need to do that. And there was no need to bring her before Jesus. Clearly, they weren't simply seeking to punish her. Something much more sinister is at work here. And that leads us to act number two a trap laid. Verse number 6 literally tells us they ask him all of this to trap him. The religious leaders claim to have caught the woman in the act of adultery. Moses in the Old Testament law said such a person should be stoned to death. But what would Jesus say about that? You see, this is a trap question pure and simple. To the Jews, Adultery was a terrible sin. In fact, the rabbis of that day taught that a man should take his own life rather than commit idolatry, adultery, or murder. And evidently, this woman is guilty of adultery. In fact, there is nothing in the text that suggests she is innocent. And the Pharisees would have hardly been so stupid enough to have hauled an innocent woman before the Lord. But that's not the whole story. According to Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 22, both parties, the man and the woman, caught in the act of adultery, were to both be put to death. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 17 describes the stoning of such two people at the city gates. They were to use these stones that were round in nature, like a small boulder designed to cause a quick death when the body was struck by them. And the first eyewitness would be the first one to hurl a stone at them. Then the second eyewitness was to throw their stone and so on. This laid a heavy moral obligation on all witnesses to such crimes to be truthful in their testimony. So a great deal was at stake that morning in the temple court at Jerusalem. I threw this up on the screen because I want you to see it. By presenting this woman to Jesus, the Jewish leaders hoped to trap him. Again, that's what this story is all about. These these Jewish leaders hope to impel the Lord Jesus Christ on the horns of a dilemma. Jesus was in a pickle. Because if Jesus said that she should be put to death, it would be seen as rebellion against Rome because the Jews didn't have the right to put anybody to death. That was something the Roman government would do. On the other hand, if he said that she should not be put to death, it would appear that Jesus was violating the Old Testament and in opposition with Moses. Either way, Jesus was going to be in trouble. They had planned well. Now, this may have worked on an ordinary rabbi or an ordinary teacher, but these scribes and Pharisees weren't dealing with an ordinary man they were wrestling with the son of God they were about to get tangled up in some barbed wire soon Jesus is going to turn the table on their evil plan now we should note again that these men didn't care lickety-squat about this woman to them she is simply this woman she's not a person just the bait to trap Jesus and all they, although they professed respect for the law of Moses while claiming to support public morality, all of it was a sham. They had an evil eagerness that led them to publicly disgrace this woman in an attempt to ruin Jesus' reputation. Thus the trap is laid. The snare has been set. What in the world is Jesus going to do? That leads us to act number three, Jesus put forth a challenge. In verse number six, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, here is the one question that is asked most about this passage. And I can remember as a little kid in my Sunday school class in Midland, Texas, asking my teacher this question. What did Jesus write when he stooped down and wrote in the sand with his finger? Well, after all the speculation is over, we, we just simply don't know. Ev- evidently, what he wrote was not crucial enough for God to include it in the Word of God. The word for write here is used only one time in the New Testament, right here. And it can mean one of two things. It can either mean to doodle. Do y'all know what doodling is? When you're just doodling on paper? That's my best artwork, doodling. Or it can also mean to write a list. And many biblical interpreters think that's what Jesus did. They think that Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments out on the ground. And then beside these Ten Commandments, he started listing these guys' names and the commandments that they had broken. Others believe that various Old Testament scriptures were written on the ground. And one writer has suggested that Jesus wrote in the dust the names of these men's girlfriends. Which does have the advantage of explaining why they cleared out of there so quick. (laughs) Nobody knows what Jesus wrote. But what he said was more important than what he wrote. And I want you to see what Jesus said in verse number 7. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus is no doubt thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 1 through 7, which demands two eyewitnesses before anybody can be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 19 adds that witnesses must not testify falsely or with malicious intent. And if they do so and are found out about it, the same punishment that was to be inflicted on the person found guilty would now be inflicted on those who bore false witness. I mean, this, this is serious business and it is dangerous for anyone to have a crooked purpose in bringing a false accusation against an innocent person. Now, the Jewish leaders would have known all of this. Jesus' words are really meant to remind them of the seriousness of their charges. Because here's the deal, church, motives matter. And Jesus is really saying this, before you guys pick up a stone, take a good look in the mirror. And you need to make sure that you are morally qualified to throw the first stone and to put this woman to death. If not, you need to drop that rock right where you're standing. If they testify maliciously or deceptively, they are literally signing their own death warrants. No doubt these men were troubled by what Jesus said. I mean, they wanted to talk about this lady. Jesus wanted to talk about them. Ouch is right. Our Lord saw this woman's sin, no doubt about it. But Jesus saw their hypocrisy. Compared to them, she looked almost innocent. (laughs) Their sin was far greater because it was couched in terms of pious religiosity. In the end, there was more hope for this sinful woman than for these conniving Pharisees. Having been caught in the act of adultery, she was really closer to the kingdom of God than they were. Why? Because she does not deny her sin. On the other hand, they never admit their own. They were so convicted by Jesus' words, that they begin to disappear one by one, starting with the oldest. And someone has suggested the reason the oldest man left first is because he had more sin than the others. They knew they weren't innocent. You know what? That, That really should be the changing point in our life when we realize we're not innocent. No one is. So it ended this way. They wanted to trap Jesus, but he flipped the coin on them, and he trapped them, exposing their own base hypocrisy. That brings us to act number four, a pardon given. They left, and it's just Jesus and this woman. Jesus and this sinful gal. Notice four things that happened. He faced her verse 10 says he straightened up or he stood up and would you look at me just look at me would you look at me because I'm gonna try to at least make contact with as many of you as I can eyeball to eyeball because that's what Jesus did Jesus looked her in the eye number two he asked her a question woman Where are thine accusers?" She said, "...they've all left, Lord." Then he forgave her, "...neither do I condemn thee." That's huge. That is huge. I want you to hang on to that because it's, it's the pivoting point of this whole story neither do I condemn thee. And then he challenged her, go and sin no more. You see, he treated her sin with total honesty. And instead of condemnation, he imparted grace and hope. You know why? Because Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to set us free. He forgave her sin, And he sent her out to start a brand new life. How about an amen? A pardon given. That leads us to Act 5, a debt paid. I'm going to wrap this story up with just a few brief thoughts. All of us, whether you're watching me online or whether you're in this room, all of us are like this woman. We are truly guilty in the eyes of a holy God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are caught by God's grace. All of us deserve death, damnation, and hell. We are helpless and unable to change our condition. We are doomed and damned unless somebody steps in to help us out. We can't buy our way out of trouble, and we cannot deny our own condition. We are condemned by our own conscience. We are condemned by our true moral guilt, and we are condemned by others. And you know what? If people knew the whole story, if people knew all of those secrets that you're hiding in your closet they would condemn you even more because that's what we like to do. We really don't know the half of it. But You know what? This is where the gospel message becomes so powerful. Just when we are about to be condemned, Jesus steps in to rescue us. And I'm sure there were people standing there that day grumbling Her sin should be paid for. In fact, you may be sitting there this morning thinking, oh man, she got off way too easy. Her sin should be paid for. Can I tell you, it was. Jesus paid for her sin on a Roman cross outside the city gates of Jerusalem not long afterwards. When Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, he was saying, I don't condemn you because one day soon I will be condemned for you. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ became a curse for us when he died on the cross. In other words, Jesus took our pain. Jesus took our shame. He took our guilt when the heavy load of our sin was placed upon him. Unless anyone in this room should think, Well, adultery must not matter. Let me tell you, Jesus never downplays adultery. Jesus never one time in this biblical text said, Oh, honey, it's no big deal. Not one time did Jesus say, Oh, I'll just let it slide. No, Jesus never said, Lady, let me tell you, it's not your fault. No. Because sin is sin doesn't matter if this lady did it or you did it. Sin is sin. Here's what Jesus does. He forgives her sins, and then he sends her forth to live a brand new life. And even though she is guilty, caught in the act, by God's grace, she leaves with a clean slate, a new life, and a new power inside of her. Hmm. Well, that's the end of our play. I've but after every good play, there's a curtain call. Got to ask one more question. Why did Jesus let her go? I mean, why did he let her go? Why, why didn't he allow them to pick up a stone and kill her? She was deserving of it. Why did Jesus let her go? Well, the short answer is this, because Jesus is the Lord of the second chance. (laughs) He pardoned this woman caught in the act, and then he set her free to live a brand new life. I I, I guess it's easy to see why some people in the early church questioned this story. Like St. Augustine said, they, they were just... They were just uneasy with the fact that Jesus might be a little lenient towards adultery. But right there we are. I mean, I can, I can see every one of us saying, Phew. well, she got off. She got off scot-free. She didn't get what she deserved. Well, if I was the Lord, i tell you what I would have done to her. We're uneasy about that kind of grace until it's us who are in trouble. And then we change our tune a little bit, don't we? We start crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, don't give me what I deserve. Jesus, give me a little bit of grace. Can I tell you, for one, I am thankful that he is the God of the second chance? Because if it were not for the second chance, I would not be standing before you today. I, I love the words of this song by Crowder, come as you are. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner. Come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So just come as you are. If you've been involved in sexual sin, (laughs) and I really don't intend to open up a can of worms here, but I would say, That includes most everybody in this room to some extent or another. If you've been involved in sexual sin or in any sin, I've got good news for you today. What Jesus did for this lady 2,000 years ago, He can do for you. You can be forgiven cleansed, and set free. No wonder they call Jesus the friend of sinners. (laughs) He is the friend, and we are the sinners. And if you today feel the heavy weight of sin, run to the cross where Jesus died for you. Come to Christ, and he will not turn you away. Today you will find no condemnation, you will find forgiveness. The Savior speaks the same words to you today that he did to this lady in the temple courts. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And dear Lord Jesus, there are some people in this room who need to hear that from you today. We need to come clean of our own sins and i pray dear lord as the holy spirit calls us this morning to the altar we would not be ashamed or hesitant but that we would stand up step out and come and find that grace and forgiveness lord help us to come help us to lay all on the altar and receive the mercy that you have for us today Lord, all of us in this room have family members and loved ones, kids, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends and neighbors who are lost and without Christ. They are lost in their sins. Who's going to intercede for them, Lord? Well, I pray that today we would, that we would come and pray for those we love who are without Jesus. Lord, others have needs that uh, only you can meet. And I pray that you would meet those needs as we bring them to you. Lord, for those who come, I pray that they would find mercy in Jesus' name. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Praise team's going to sing. Holy Spirit is speaking. Why don't you come and pray? Right now, just come on. Come as you are. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that we would do that today, Lord, before we stand before you in judgment. Help us to declare Jesus is Lord of our life. Lord, I want to thank you for this this great service. Thank you for the worship that stirred our hearts. Thank you for the word of God that's challenged and changed us. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would leave this place different than when we walked in. I pray, dear God, that a fire of revival would be sparked in our souls today. I pray that we would leave this place on fire for Jesus. That we would be determined to live for you and not to sin. Help us, dear Jesus, to tell others about you and bring back a lot of people next week as we celebrate your wonderful resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated for just a moment? Hey, When you walked in, you saw these uh, cards sitting on your chair. There's two of them. In fact, if you're in an area where there may be a vacant seat, there are more cards. Pick up as many of these as you can hand out this week. And, and I don't want you to hand them out to people who already go to church. Find people who don't attend church anywhere. Up and down your street, at work, you might run into somebody at Walmart or wherever. You have friends and family members that don't go to church. Give them an invite card and invite them to this church this coming Sunday. People come to church on Easter. You know, If they're invited, they will come. So please invite someone to come with you next Sunday for our Easter celebration. It's gonna be great, I mean, it's gonna be awesome. Isn't it, Miss Angie? It's gonna be a great day. Come a little bit early because we're gonna have those really big, good, nice cookies that I'll be up all Saturday night baking for you, all right? And uh, come and share those. Uh, We're gonna have banners hanging in the lobby so you can take uh, family Easter photos. Out here, Jason, it's going to be right out here, out this door. We're going to have some, uh, some tents set up with critters, little, little Easter critters. What, what do we got coming, Jason? By putting you on the spot, what do we got? We got baby, lambs. baby lambs, bunnies, chicks, chicks ducks. and ducks. Wow. <laughs> and, and your kids can have pictures with all those critters out there. Isn't that great? I may bring JoJo. Y'all haven't met JoJo. I've already got some good stories about my little puppy, JoJo, smartest dog I have ever had. And I even said last night in, the, in front of my son, this is the smartest kid I've ever had, right here, JoJo. Anyway, it's going to be a great day next Sunday. Make sure you come. On the back side of this invite card, it's all about our Easter egg hunt. That's going to happen this Saturday at one o'clock in the field adjacent to us that we own over here. Uh, Johnny's got, uh, I I lost count, is like 1,232,422 eggs. And if you wanna help stuff them, show up Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. For every 43 pieces of candy you stuff, you get to eat half a piece of candy, all right? So that's our deal with you. That's gonna be this Saturday uh, at one o'clock. Invite people. For that now about this week Wednesday night we're not having church all right so if you show up Wednesday night you're, you can hang out in the parking lot but that's about it the reason we're not having it Wednesday is because we're going to have a special Thursday night communion service Thursday this week is known as Monday Thursday it is the day in which Jesus took his disciples to the upper room and instituted the Lord's Supper So we're going to get real biblical this week and meet on Thursday night and take the Lord's Supper as the family of faith. Ron, I'm so excited about this, and I hope you can come and we'll be here for our upper room communion service. Tune in tonight at 6.30. Don Smith is going to be teaching our Bible lesson. When you walk out the door, make sure you put your offering in the black box. One more thing. I'm going to ask the whole church right before we leave to pray for the Brazel family. Uh, Ralph Brazel is one of the the best men that we've ever had at Kavanaugh Church. Uh, If I could have a church full of Ralph Brazels, I would have the best church in the world. Uh, Ralph was just a a wonderful man. He loved his family, he loved his God, and now he's worshiping his savior in heaven. Uh, Thursday morning, Ralph got his calling card from the Lord and he got to go to heaven. We're going to celebrate his life and his home going this Friday. And I think that's kind of significant. On Good Friday, we're going to celebrate the life of Ralph Brazel. Uh, It's going to be right here in this sanctuary at 11 o'clock. If you can't make it to that celebration service, make sure you pray for Ralph's family. They certainly need our support today. I want you to know that you are loved. I love you. The staff loves you. That ain't nothing compared to the love God has for you. So walk out of here today with your head high and your chest out because God loves you. You're dismissed.